Well, it's that time of year again. The time of year where we look at the Browns record and we start hoping that the draft turned things around. Right? Like we know the song and dance at this point. Things are going pretty bad. And the only thing that we have to hope for is that someone new will show up and will bring the franchise to a new era of success and prosperity. And that's actually what our text is kind of talking about tonight. Uh, this holiday season, we are, are looking at a, a passage of Scripture that should be very familiar, us, familiar to us during this time. We're looking at Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And it's a passage that, that was really written at a pretty dark time in Israel's history. Um, near the end of the northern kingdom's existence, they had about as bad a streak of kings as the Browns normally have of, of, of a record. Uh, just one king after another was a horrible, horrible guy making a lot of really dumb decisions. And like the one defining decision was to form an alliance with a couple of other countries surrounding them to take on the superpower of the world at that time, to take on the nation of Assyria. Surprise, surprise, it did not go well for them. They got absolutely decimated, and it was primarily because their kings were just horrible, horrible leaders. And it is in this context that our text is written. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, is, is instilling hope in his people, promising them that a king is coming whose reign will change everything. And so tonight we're going to look at this coming king, and next time we're together we're going to look at his reign and what that means for us. And so tonight from our text we're going to see what the promised king will be like, um, why a king is needed, and who this king is. So uh, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Every time I read this, I think of Maui from Moana. Because this is kind of how he introduces himself, right? Like, yeah, I am, I am Maui, de uh, shapeshifter, demigod of the wind and sea, hero of men and women, just hero, hero to all, right? And what is he doing there? He, he is describing himself really without, he uses his name, but really without using his name. And that's what Isaiah is doing in our text. He never comes out and says, this is the king. He just describes what this king is going to be like. He gives four descriptors of this king, first of which he's going to be a wonderful counselor. And there is a bit of a stigma when it comes to counseling, right? That only people that have really, really big problems go to counseling. And, and, and that, that's simply not true. Everyone needs counsel. Everyone needs advice and guidance, the issue is finding a counselor who is both good at giving advice and, and is interested in your best interest. And the kings that Israel had certainly did not fit that description. So he will be a wonderful counselor. He will also be mighty God. Now when we hear and sing this text, we kind of roll our eyes a little bit. It's like, yes, of course he's going to be mighty God. We're talking about God, duh. But you have to understand how Isaiah's audience would have heard this. See, it was very common for the kings of the ancient Near East to refer to themselves as gods. For example, Pharaoh often talked about and thought about himself as a god. And so what Isaiah is trying to get across here is that the coming king is not going to be a weak pushover like the ones they've had in the past. That he is going to be a mighty god, a king that can not only hold his own, but will be powerful enough to overcome their enemies. 
Third, this king is going to be everlasting father. And if I can be honest with you, this one kind of messed with my head a little bit. Because at the very beginning, Isaiah says that it's going to be a child. I have yet to meet a child who is a father. And to make matters a little worse, spoiler alert, we are talking about Jesus here. And Jesus is the son of God, not the father. So how in the world can the son be the everlasting father? And this is once again where context will help us a little bit. The kings of the ancient Near East not only called themselves gods, they called themselves fathers. So they were the father of their people. But, but they were like that horrible stepdad type of father that's portrayed in the movies where they just sit around on the sofa demanding sandwiches and beer and like abusing people that are around them. That's the type of father the foreign kings and really Israel's kings were to their children. But not so with this coming king. He would be different. He would be the type of father that everyone wants to have, the one that cares for and sacrifices for his children. And then finally, he will be the prince of peace, which is really Isaiah's main descriptor here because he spends all of verse 7 fleshing that out. So I don't want to say too much. I want to leave it for, for next time. But at a minimum, we need to define peace because we talk about peace a lot these days. And what we mean by that is an absence of conflict, which is part of what peace means. But when the Bible talks about peace, it's really talking about wholeness or, or completeness. So like, let's imagine that the Hulk came through and he smashed a hole through this wall and then he walks out the door. Is the wall at peace? No. Uh, the, the conflict has ended, right? The Hulk is gone, but the wall is still broken. The only way that the wall will know peace is if it's restored, if it's brought back to completeness and wholeness, and that's what the king is going to do for his people. Not just end the war, not just end the conflict, but bring healing and wholeness for his people. This is the king that God promises is coming. And you're probably thinking at this point, that sounds great, Caleb. It sounds like they really needed the help. What does this have to do with me? Well, you need that king too. You need ruled and governed just as much as your people of Israel did. And there's something inside of us good-blooded Americans that recoil at a statement like that. After all, our way of life is built upon freedom from tyranny of a king. And yet this claim to freedom is, is both a blessing, but it can also be a curse. Did you know that compared to the global average, Americans score 20 points higher when it comes to anxiety than anyone else in the world? We are more anxious and stressed out than the rest of the world, even though we are the most affluent and one of the most free countries uh, ever known to man. Why is that? And I'd propose to you it's because we're caught in um, something like an anxiety spiral. So uh, at the core of each person is a throne, right? And whether knowingly or unknowingly, we put ourselves on that throne. We're calling the shots, we're making the decisions. That works out fine until we encounter something that is outside of our control. So, like, um, let's say that you need to have a conversation with your parents. It's not going to be pretty, and there is no way you can control the outcome. And so what do you do? You obsess about it. You mull it over. You run the conversation through your mind a couple hundred times, thinking through how can you say this a certain way to try to control the outcome. But this, the fact of the matter is you can't. And so all of your musing and obsessing leads us back to it's outside of my control, but maybe I missed something. 
and around and around and around we go, getting deeper and deeper into anxiety and despair. That's why we're anxious, because we are attempting to be king over more than we were made to shoulder. We're trying to sit down on the throne of our life, and we aren't meant to be king. And so in one sense, I think Loki is actually right. Like, do you guys remember in the first Avengers movie after he, like, cuts the guy's eye out and then, like, demands for the crowd to kneel before him, what he says to them? He says that the unspoken truth about humanity is that you all crave subjugation, that, that you were made to be ruled. And I think to a point he's right. Life is far more chaotic, far larger than any one of us can handle. The problem wasn't Loki's premise, it was his conclusion that he should be the one to be king. And that elderly guy rightly discerned that Loki, like a bunch of other people in history, is not qualified to be king. And that's actually what's happening in our context, uh, the context of our text. That the people rightly understand they can't stand against the Assyrians. And so they look to their king to deal with it. The problem was he was just as inept as they were. And so what should have brought peace actually brought more anxiety and despair. And we make the same mistake. We will platform and enthrone other things, other people, with the hope that it will bring life under control. And, and it doesn't. One very common way that we do this is with a, a significant other. We look to them and say, here, my life's crazy. You can bring some semblance of control and peace and what have you, and they get crushed by it. They run away from it because they are as inept as you are at doing that. See, the problem is, is not having a king. We all need a king. The problem is we keep picking the wrong ones. And so who is this king that we need so badly? Well, verse 6 tells us that whoever this guy is, he has really big shoulders. Did you notice that line in, in verse 6, that the government shall be upon his shoulders? See, to place something on someone's shoulders meant that they bore the full weight of that thing, that they had absolute authority over it, but also absolute responsibility for it. And it should come as no surprise to you that Jesus has the shoulders for the job. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, and by that I don't mean that he's always right, even though he is. What I mean is that he is always right and he uses that for our good and flourishing. He's mighty God. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us that all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's everlasting father in the sense that he sacrificially gave himself for us while we were still sinners, his enemies, out of his great love for us. And he is the prince of peace, not just because he reconciled us with God but because he has large enough shoulders to handle all that life throws our way. This is the king that Jesus is. The question for us is, will we let him sit on the throne? See, the Apostle Paul tells us how we can break this anxiety spiral in Philippians 4, 6-7. He writes, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The solution to our anxiety, really to all of our problems, is who's in the center. 
who sits on the throne. And Isaiah is telling us that the one we need is the Prince of Peace.